My cat has been getting ill. Oh. Well, she's just been getting old. Oh. So when she tries to get up onto the bed, she she wants her little spot cleared of the blanket. So she'll like come up and like paw at my arms or my body that might be in her way so that I move <laughs> and make a little spot for her with her with the blankets moved. And then she's so old these days that like sometimes she'll just jump up all spry, but sometimes she'll like get half up and then like <laughs> get her claws in oh, and be like no. falling off Climb the bed and then, like, get, like pulling her way up. So I was like, I'm going to put a stool next to the bed because she's an old lady. <laughs> so this cat sits on everything. She sits on like the nightstand. She sits on the dresser. She's always on the bed. I give her this perfect stool and she won't get on it. <laughs> and so then I put like a t-shirt over it to make it like something that, I don't know, smells like me and is like comfortable and and she will not get on it. And so she keeps coming up and I've just made it harder for her because now she can't get right into her spot because there's a stool in the way. <laughs> so she'll like come up next to the stool and like reach around and then try and jump up and yank herself up. Oh, oh no. no. Can you get like one of those little doggy ramps? I could, but she really doesn't need it because there's a stool. <laughs> and she could so easily just get on the stool. I don't know. We'll see what That's happens. pretty funny. Um, can I just say that I, I'm so sad that you have a cat named Hercules, and it was not named that after the Elton John song called A Cat Named Hercules. No, it wasn't. It just seems <laughs> I didn't so know sad. Elton John had a song named The Cat Named Hercules. I was telling Matt for, like, weeks that, oh yeah, my... Salem named Hercules, because we were really into Elton John for a bit. We still kind of are. Well, of course we are, because he's Elton John and amazing. It's but Elton John, yeah. We were, like, obsessed, obsessed for a few weeks. And, um, a few weeks. And I just kept <laughs> telling him that, that you named your cat Hercules. Hercules because of this song and I was wrong you didn't know and it's so funny well I just do this thing where I will look at an animal and I will just be like he looks like a this and I don't know why but it just happens and then I'll have other animals like Sage who we had forever and I couldn't come up with a name for her because bitch wouldn't be acceptable <laughs> you should have um, just named her bitch um I do like that you named her Sage though because yeah. it's like she is a demon and sage <laughs> and is used you to smudge, repel demons. Yeah, you're trying to keep the demons away. I don't know, but I looked at Hercules, but what I what I really was thinking when I named him, I mean, I looked at him and I thought, he looks like a Hercules. But I was also thinking it would be so much fun to call him when he's outside, Hercules, 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 <laughs> which is so stupid. But <laughs> And instead we just call him Herkajerka. I, yeah. He I is named, a Jerka. He's I a Jerkules. I name pets based on the nicknames that I can give them. That's why I named <laughs> yes. Like Addie, my fucking bird, whose name is short for Admiral Shits on Stuff. Um, <laughs> that is his legal name. Admiral Shits on <laughs> Stuff. Oh, so we call amazing. him Addie. That's great. We got Pear from the Dumb Friends League, and his name was already Pear, and we just kept it because it was cute. You know, cats named after food. I'm into it. Um, Kyle started calling him Pierre, but recently we discovered that we can call him Quentin Parentino. And so oh, that nice. we decided is Pear's legal name is Quentin Parentino, <laughs> and we just call him Pear I, or Pierre. I got to say. Then we have Ollivander Bug named after his uncle Bug, and then oh. Quentin Parentino. That's pretty I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> so are we going to have a podcast? Are we going to have a podcast? Let's have a podcast. <laughs> Sit down. I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls It's all really fucked up so don't you be fooled 
everyone. Welcome to FDA Family Storytime. I'm Salem. And I'm Hannah. And with us today, we have Kelly. Hey! And Belle. Sup, guys? Who's our storyteller? Hey, oh, it's me. Woohoo! Woo. So we're here recording our 13th episode. Unlucky. Oh, 13. Lucky number 13. Mm-hmm. It's my second lucky yeah, number. Yeah, I said lucky. You said unlucky, didn't you? I mean, it's stereotypically unlucky. And that is why it's I'm really lucky. Playing upon the fears, right? Isn't that what this podcast is about? Fear monger, everyone. The, yeah, sure. The fears and the spooky. Coronavirus! It's coming for you. It's out there. We know it. Put those masks on your cats. <laughs> because that they're definitely in trouble. works. Yes. <laughs> Have you seen? There's like a thing that you could hang from the your twinkle tush. Yeah, it's oh, like yeah. a little jewel yes. to cover oh, yeah. your cat's butthole. Oh yeah. I used to want to do that with Nobog because he would never put his fucking tail down, so it would just be straight up when he was like walking around. And you would just see his full asshole. <laughs> I do want to point out that Ollie. This isn't about his butt. It's about his eyes. When Ollie squints, when Ollie squints, the inside corners of his eyes look like anuses. The way that they like, the way that they like, you know, like the way that his eyeballs, it's like the inside corners. Are you studying to know what they look like? It's like if you took Ollie's butthole and put him on the corner of his eyes. Oh. On the inside corner. And so, so Kyle and I call it little anus eyes. Sometimes. Do your cats... <laughs> I was just going to say... Do your cats ever... Oh, sorry. What is that song? My anus eyes. <laughs> it's Ollie's theme song. What is that song? Betty, Betty Davis, Davis eyes. <laughs> Ollie's anus eyes. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm not here for this. All right. So we're going to get to what we're drinking. Because Woo! we've been drinking. Boop, boop. Yeah. Yes, we have. So we got Jesse here to tell us all about it on our <laughs> fucked up drink corner. Yeah. yeah. Is that where you're going for? <laughs> <Yep. laughs> Thanks for reading my signals. <laughs> so today's drink is a dragon knot. Which I know the name could be problematic, but this is not an explorer of dragons. It is a dragon who explores. So this is a dragon knot. <laughs> I think that clarification was really necessary. I mean, but that's what it, it means. It was. Like, there's two completely different like, images in my head until a- you yeah. clarify. Like, astronaut is a star explorer or a space explorer, right? So dragon knot, naturally, you'd think it might be a, an explorer of dragons. But this is a dragon who explores. So in honor of our topic today, we are drinking a space-inspired drink. What, what is the dragon explorer? whatever he fucking wants because he's a dragon oh, okay base i was wondering if he explored space i don't know it's like astronaut okay the final <laughs> frontier i don't know can the dragon breathe in space is he a space dragon then if yes he, he has a suit like astronauts because we have all the dragon suits the space suits that fit dragons maybe <laughs> these are the stories i feel a, a short story in my future all well, about this bring it next week of the dragon ss enterprise <laughs> Dragons, the final frontier. (laughs) These are the stories. (laughs) Okay, so back to the drink. Okay. So today's drink, the Dragon Knot, inspired by space exploration. We are drinking the Elysian Brewery Space Dust IPA, 
mixed with the California Cider Company's Ace Cider Brands, but this special one is called Space Cider, and it's a bloody orange craft cider uh, inspired by the possible truth, maybe myth, that astronauts drank Tang in space. (laughs) That's true. That's generational. Yes. (laughs) So we've got our orange beer mixture and the citrus of the bloody orange cider, which, yes, it's called the bloody orange cider. It's not blood orange. I'm not saying it wrong. (laughs) Wait, really? Because I was totally, like, laughing in my head. I know. That's why I clarified. Good job, Jess. (laughs) You can read the label. The if you want to, um, <laughs> it's the bloody orange cider. Arr, Checks out. Where space pirates are. <laughs> no, the- and so that's that's the dragon knot and done. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. That was so awesome. good. Let's it is try a very it. good drink. I'm gonna taste Clink. it. Oh, cheers! It actually is really tasty. The orange citrus. <laughs> mellows out the um, hoppiness, and yeah. it's not too sweet. Like no, it's, it's got really a citrus, good. but it's like if really you, tart. If you like citrusy beers, you'll really it's like it. It's in my yeah. top three of mm-hmm. podcast drinks for I sure. I think so. Yeah, yeah definitely t- really t- liked t- it. And I don't care what was said about the strength; it hit me pretty hard. It oh, hit me hard. all of us. Yeah. So yeah. Have you ever had those times where you're looking at a beer list and you're literally just looking at the ABV to make <laughs> yeah. your selection? Absolutely. Yes. Just raise yeah. your hand. Yeah. Same I think piece. everybody raised their yeah. hand. Yep. All right. So uh, I guess we should probably get into our story. Yeah. Um. So this week, Bell is telling us a story uh, about about George Adamski. All right. I have no idea. We're getting into aliens this week. Finally. That's why it's a space drink. Space themed drink for a space themed story. Yes. That's a really good jingle. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Space themed drink for a space themed story. It's a little less good on the second year. I had to harmonize. (laughs) Imagine that I was also singing the first part. Okay. We can move on with this space themed story. Okay. Okay. Aliens. George Adamski. He was born in Bromberg in the Kingdom of Prussia in the German Empire. He was one of five siblings born to Polish parents, Josef and Franziska. When George was two years old, his family immigrated to the United States and settled in New York City. He lived in New York, and at the age of 22, he was a soldier fighting at the Mexican border. Beginning at the age of 22, he was a soldier fighting at the Mexican border during the Pancho Villa expedition. Okay, what year was that? Um, I don't know what year he was born, but in 1970, he got married. So it was probably... So probably like in the 40s? The early 1900s. When he was... When he was born? Born. Yeah. In the, like, the, not early 1900s, like 1940s. Like 1940s, No, 50s, it was 1917 right? when he got married. Oh, I oh, I oh. No, 1917. <laughs> like, yeah, so he no. would have been born in the early 1900s. <laughs> he got married in 1917. He was a soldier... He lived a pretty average American life, you know, Polish parents living in New York. Okay. Beginning's not important. He was born. He fought in a war. He got married. Okay. Okay. So there's a person and something's going to happen there's a person with aliens. And he lived. But it hasn't happened yet. And he was a person in the world. Yes, Go. exactly. In 1917, <laughs> George Adamski married Mary Shimbersky. Following his marriage, Adamski moved west along the way doing maintenance work in Yellowstone National Park 
He worked in an organ flour mill. Flour mill? He worked in an organ flour mill. Wait, 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 wait. Is that <laughs> Oregon, the state, or an organ? An Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. Okay. Flour Oregon. mill. Oregon. Oregon. Or, or, how do you say that word? Or, Oregon. Oregon. Okay. He worked at Yellowstone. He worked at an, a flour mill in Oregon. Is that better? Yes. <laughs> and he had worked at a California concrete factory, just doing all kinds of odd manual labor jobs. That's all over this fucking country, Well, too. he was moving west from New York City, just like kind of working as he goes, yeah, you know. That's a cool life. Um, in 1920s, Adamski became interested in the occult, and by 1930, Adamski was a minor figure on the California occult scene. What Ooh. is that like? Yeah. In the, what, that would be like the 1930s? Yeah. Is that like, or no, I guess that's too late for like the spiritualism, the popularity of It was like, probably about the same time, because he right started in the, it in the 1920s, kind of getting into yeah, it, and like spent that decade kind of making okay. his name, and then by the 1930s, he became kind of a prominent figure in the scene. Good for him, coming yeah. up in the world. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, he taught his personal mixture of Christianity and Eastern religions, which he called, quote, universal progressive Christianity and, quote, universal law. Hmm. I love the idea of just huh. teaching your personal version. Yeah, you're things. just like, this is what I believe. I mean, <laughs> isn't that what any cult leader does? Well, just yeah, teaching that's their own personal ideas of religion. Okay. While living in Laguna Beach, Adamski founded the Royal Order of Tibet which held its meetings in the Temple of Scientific Philosophy. Adamski served as a philosopher and a teacher at the temple. The Royal Order of Tibet was given a government license to make line for, quote, religious purposes during prohibition. Adamski was quoted as saying, I made enough wine for all of Southern California. I was making a fortune. However, the end of Prohibition also marked the decline of his profitable winemaking business. And in 1940, Adamski, his wife, and some close friends moved to a ranch near California's Palomar Mountain, where they dedicated their time to studying religion, philosophy, and farming. I want to do that. I know. It sounds pretty cool. I got to say, so what I need for my winemaking business to take off is Prohibition. Is prohibition. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because no one wants homemade wine when you can just buy it buy at it the from store. store. I know what I'm voting for. <laughs> <laughs> In 1944, with funding from one of Adamski's students, they purchased 20 acres of land at the base of Palomar Mountain, where they built a new home, a campground called Palomar Gardens, and a small restaurant called Palomar Gardens Cafe. Is that still a restaurant? I want to go. I don't know. (laughs) This was in 1944, so probably not. Probably not. not. Just like statistically. At the campground and restaurant, Adamski often gave lectures on Eastern philosophy and religion, sometimes late into the night, to students, admirers, and tourists. He also built a wooden observatory at the campground to house his six-inch telescope. Visitors and tourists to Palomar Mountain often mistook (laughs) (laughs) his six-inch that's yeah. in width, yeah. not in length. Oh, yeah, no, okay. it's six okay. inch wide. <laughs> Which makes it a pretty decent size like a, you know. telescope. Okay, I was thinking length. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Like a little, like, <laughs> ooh. Visitors and tourists to Palomar Mountain often mistook Adamski as an astronomer connected to the famed Palomar Observatory at the top of the mountain. Adamski would correct this false impression only when pressed to do so. Although he was frequently called Professor Adamski by his admirers and followers, he only had a third grade education. What a dummy. 
Bitch, same. I'm just kidding. <laughs> same. <laughs> Me too. The UFO claims began in 1946. On October 9th, Adamski and some friends claimed that while they were at Palomar Gardens campground, they witnessed a large cigar-shaped mothership appear during a meteor shower. In early 1947, Adamski took a photograph of what he claimed was the cigar-shaped mothership from the previous year crossing in front of the moon over Palomar Gardens. How did they know it was a mothership? A wild shot in the dark. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Because <laughs> it was cigar shaped and. He had a feeling, you know, okay. the, the telepathy, the. Okay. The energy. He was like, that's an important ship. Telepathy? It must be the mothership. <laughs> Telepathy? I don't know. <laughs> no, telepathy. Telepathy. Yeah, I'm learning. Telepathy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had to find my place. In the summer of 1947, following the first widely publicized UFO sightings in the USA, Adamski claimed he had seen 184 UFOs pass over Palomar Gardens in just one evening. Oh, my God. That's that a lot. That seems That's unlikely. I know. <laughs> yeah. By 1949, Adamski began giving his first UFO lectures to civic groups and other organizations in Southern California. He did request and receive fees for all of these lectures. In these lectures, he made fantastic claims such as the government and science had established the existence of UFOs two years earlier via radar tracking of 700-foot-long spacecraft on the other side of the moon. Wow. He also claimed that science now knows that all planets in Earth's solar systems are inhabited and that photos of Mars taken from the Mount Paloma Observatory have proven that the canals on Mars are man-made, built by an intelligence far greater than any man's on Earth. On May 29th in 1950, Adamski took a photograph of what he alleged to be six unidentified objects in the sky, which appeared to be flying in formation. The same UFO photograph was depicted in an August 1978 commemorative stamp issued by the island nation of Granada in order to mark the Year of UFOs. On November 20th, 1952, Adamski and several friends were in the Colorado desert, which I looked hey, up. Hey, Colorado! It's not actually in Colorado. It's Damn. in California somewhere. Aww. So really misleading. Fuck you, California. It's called the Colorado desert, yes, but it's somewhere in California. Okay. So on November 20th in 1952, Adamski and several of his friends were in the Colorado desert, which is actually in California, and they saw a large submarine-shaped object hovering in the sky. Believing that the ship was looking for him, Adamski left his friends and headed away from the main road. Because obviously it was looking, it was for, looking him. for him. Yeah, because he is the most important person. And yeah. Shortly after, a scout ship made of a type of translucent metal landed close to him and its pilot, a Venetian, so I don't know, Venusian, mm. somebody Ven from Venus. Venusian? Ven 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 Venusian? Ven I don't know. Venusian. Someone from Venice. A guy from Venus. <laughs> <laughs> the planet of Venus. <laughs> a Venusian. I don't know. Venus boy. His name was Orthon. He disembarked the little scout ship and began to look for Adamski. He claimed that people with him also saw the ship from Venus. The, the Venusian ship. Venusian. <laughs> Wait, so he claimed that, but the he people with him didn't that the claim that? the people with him had seen the ship, but the people with him, several of them had later stated that they could see him meeting somebody in the distance. Okay. 
Adamski described Orthon as being medium-height humanoid with long blonde hair and tanned skin, wearing reddish-brown shoes. That's just like a fucking surfer dude. He's in California. (laughs) Just like some dude walking up from the beach and he's like, hey, dude, my name's Orthon. My name's Orthon. (laughs) Got any fucking weed? (laughs) I got some acid here, bro, if you want a trip. (laughs) Okay, so he had reddish brown shoes, but his trousers, quote, were not like Adamski's. I don't know what that means. Oh, snap. He's obviously an alien. <laughs> different trousers. He's got weird pants on. Imagine if this guy saw the first women, woman wearing leggings. like <laughs> <laughs> An alien. <laughs> that chick is not from this world. <laughs> oh, what would he have thought of those fucking jeans from Nordstrom? Where they had like the clear cutout the clear panels, panels on the knees. That's like the big trend. What do you remember? It's actually just a time traveler. Some bro from 2020 shows up in the desert with his long blonde hair and his tan skin and his fucking like, I don't know, Oxford's on with like his paneled out (laughs) knees, you know, on his pants. You can see his knees. Do you remember that movie? Is Kelly's going to be the only one that remembers it. It's like from the 80s or the early 90s about the guy that designs the jeans that have the cutout for the butt. Do you remember? <laughs> it's like this whole, I swear to God, it was a movie. So maybe that was his weird pants. All right. Orthon had weird trousers, reddish brown shoes, and Adamski had said that he communicated with him being telepathy. Or telepathy. Or telepathy. <laughs> <laughs> I was already corrected once. I was asking. I want to learn. I don't know. I'm learning. Is it? I don't know what it is. Communicated him via the mind. Telepathy. And through hand signals. He spoke through brain. <laughs> Speak through brain. <laughs> and hand signals. Not not sign language in like American sign language. American like sign language. Old school gestures. Universal signals. sign language. Charades. Charades. <laughs> they played a mad game of charades. Okay, so the movie was so fine. We think. They were titular jeans, apparently. Titular jeans. Where the ass was cut out and your butt cheeks got some air. That's what Orthon was wearing. Uh, that was what Orthon was wearing. Confirmed. Okay. Truth. Story. During the conversation, Orthon warned Adamski of the dangers of nuclear war, and Adamski later wrote that the presence of this inhabitant of Venus was like the warm embrace of great love and understanding wisdom. Adamski claimed Orthon had refused to allow himself to be photographed and instead had asked Adamski to provide with him a blank photographic plate, which which Adamski gave to Orthon. (laughs) George Hunt Williamson, a fellow contactee, which was kind of what they called themselves, you know, like people who had been contacted by aliens. And he was an associate to Adamski. He claimed that after Orthon left, he was able to take plaster cats of Orthon's shoe imprints. The imprints contained mysterious symbols, which Adamski believed to be a message from Orthon. Orthon is said to have returned the photographic plate to Adamski on December 13th of 1952. When the plate was developed, it was found to contain new strange symbols. It was during this meeting that Adamski is said to have taken a now famous photograph of Orthon's Venusian scout ship of the ship that like, you know, the translucent metal ship came down to find him. He got a picture of that with his six inch telescope. (laughs) 
his, his infamous six-inch telescope. At the time, skeptics claimed that it looked suspiciously like the top of a chicken brooder, which was used to warm the unhatched chickens, or the newly hatched, the freshly hatched chickens. <laughs> Those fresh out of the pussy chickens. <laughs> 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 cackling to herself all right this is where desmond leslie enters the scene who the fuck is desmond leslie thanks for having we've been waiting in the mid-1950s leslie had created a low-budget ufo film entitled them and the thing at his home castle leslie I really like that. Wow. Oh my himself. gosh, we're totally Castle gonna Leslie. call places <laughs> our castles now. Castle Kelly. The flying saucer in the film had been created by shining mirrors on a Spanish Renaissance shield suspended from a fishing line. After Leslie happened upon a copy of the 1896 book *The Story of Atlantis and the Lost Lemuria* by William Scott Elliot in a friend's library, he was inspired to write a manuscript about the visitation of Earth by aliens. This is when Leslie struck up a correspondence with Adamski. Adamski sent Leslie a written account of his encounter with Orthon, complete with photos. Leslie transformed that information into the 1953 co-authored book, Flying Saucers Have Landed. The book became a bestseller and brought both Adamski and Leslie media attention. It eventually became a key text of the New Age movement. The following year, Leslie visited Adamski in California and claimed to witness several UFOs with him. One of them Leslie described in a letter he sent to his wife while he was in San Diego. Quote, A beautiful golden ship in the sunset but brighter than the sunset. It slowly faded out the way they do. Bitch, that's the sun. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the sun and it's setting. Just to ask, I mean, do you think that they really saw UFOs? Do you think they were really seeing UFOs? I mean, I don't know. It's Birds. hard to think of like this one account, you know, because I really don't think like anything, not like anything, but like most of the stuff that he said I think was either exaggerated or just like a con, you know? Yeah. And, but I don't know if it stems from truth. Like, I do think like whether or not he saw anything, like I do think that like the life from other planets, like me personally anyway, like he might've seen, because this was kind of the time too, where it was all kind of like coming to the mainstream. Yeah. And so I wonder if he saw just like the phenomenon itself just like coming out and then kind of capitalizing on that or if he really yeah. did see anything. That's what I was going to say. Because like in the late 40s, early 50s is when like there were so many mm-hmm. uh, people saying that they had been contacted by aliens or abducted or they had seen UFOs. It was like the start of this phenomenon. Like when did Roswell happen? Like late 40s, right? 50s? Late? 50s? I'm going to look it up. 50s, yeah. Okay. I would say 50s. Well, I don't know though for sure. But, like, this is definitely a time where it was, like, being brought to the forefront. And so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people capitalized on that. And especially because this is a story that I've never heard of before. Yeah. I feel like that means it's, like, not not as legit. It's not as substantiated when there are so many stories that, like, you know about from this time period. spoiler alert, most of this stuff has been refuted already. But, like, (laughs) it's an interesting story. And that's why I thought, you know. um, It was... 
sorry, really fast. I was just going to say. But, 1947 that Roswell Oh, was happened. Roswell. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say But is that. it, like, was there any semblance of truth that initiated this interest in it that he maybe then exploited? Like, that's I what makes really it interesting don't to me. think so, just, like, coming in from, like, researching it. Like, I did see one thing saying that, like, after the Prohibition thing happened and it ended and he wasn't making any money off of selling illegal wine or whatever, it was reported that he had said to a friend oh i gotta get this ufo nonsense off the ground or whatever like he was planning and it's almost on capitalizing it yeah it's also interesting that like he comes from a background that is like involved in the occult Mm -hmm. and so whereas like most people that have at least more substantiated um evidence of like being visited by aliens they were people who were just normal people didn't want anything to do with it they were like farmers or they were like military persons personnel who like lost a lot from coming forward with their stories whereas like this he was already ingrained in that type of lifestyle with the occult like he obviously cared about money he had just run out of an opportunity to make Mm -hmm. him money so he was looking for something else so like it really to me leans more towards it being entirely fabricated and just leaning in with the times and the things Mm -hmm. that were happening in the media kind of the accounts that i read about leslie too didn't really paint him out to be the most trustworthy kind of person either and in that he was like almost looking just to write a novel that was gonna sell, you he just know, and to not like money. any truth of it or anything. Yeah. But okay. you know, I mean, it's it's still just kind of like a fun story, and it does yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, I don't know. Keep weird. going. He just keeps a weird escalating. Frick. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> he sees this ship. Whatever. So their book, Flying Saucers Have Landed, claimed that Nordic aliens from Venus and other planets in Earth's solar system regularly visited the Earth. According to the book, Orthon and other aliens were worried that nuclear bomb tests in the Earth's atmosphere would kill all life on Earth, spread radiation into space, and contaminate other planets. Adamski claimed that Nordic aliens worshipped a creator of all, but that we on Earth know very little about the creator. Quote, our understanding is shallow. In his 1955... Oh, what were you going to say? That's also just like more fire to the flame that like he's making it up because yeah. like he's a Christian well yeah like his and whole so, brand of religion was like his like new age Christianity yeah, and so, like there's one God but we can't whatever pass our ego I don't because I feel like most other alien Which encounters I- are like they say there is no God or mm-hmm. there is no higher being but like that stuck out to me in that, like, there is, but you just don't know him very also, well. They got real <laughs> deep in these alien encounters real quick to get into the whole religion thing in yeah. the first place. Yeah. <laughs> like... In his 1955 book, Inside the Spaceships, Adamski claimed that Orthon arranged for him to be taken on a trip to see the solar system, including the planet Venus, where Orthon said the late Mrs. Adamski had been reincarnated. She had passed away the year before. That's sad. I know. They never had kids. He never remarried. He claimed that in another voyage, he met the 1,000-year-old elder philosopher of the space people, who was called the Master. Adamski said that he and the Master discussed philosophy, religion, and the Earth's place in the universe. Adamski said that he learned he had been selected by Nordic aliens to bring their message of peace to Earth people. And that other humans throughout history had also served as their messengers, including Jesus Christ. So he basically compared himself to Jesus. Superstar. (laughs) 
Adamski further claimed that aliens were peacefully living on Earth and that he had met with them in bars and restaurants in Southern California. <laughs> bars and I'm restaurants sorry. in Southern California. I've met a few aliens if, in bars and restaurants yeah. in Denver. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. If there were going to be aliens anywhere, it would absolutely be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. The one thing that happened... You know, one kind of good thing that came out with this, whether you believe him or not, is that Adamski's stories had led other people to come forward with their own claims of contact. Such figures as Howard Menger, Daniel Fry, George Van Tassel, and Truman Bretherum. Um, The message of Adamski and his fellow contactees was one in which other planets of Earth's solar system were all inhabited by physically handsome, spiritually evolved beings who have had moved beyond the problems of Earth's people. But they still got to be handsome. You They're know? physically <laughs> handsome. That's the most important thing. That's why it came first. Some some good looking blonde Nordic tanned aliens. Um, the contactee movement grew throughout the 1950s, but Adamski remained the most prominent and most fluential of all of the contactees. The most fluential? Influential. The most influential. This is what we get when we mix booze and podcast. Is that I get too drunk because I'm nervous to tell my second story of all time. Go easy on me. It's the booze cast. Don't make me cry. It's Pisces season. I have a Pisces moon. Okay. In 1957, Adamski received a letter signed R.E. Strafe, an alleged representative of the Cultural Exchange Committee of the U.S. State Department. The letter said the U.S. government knew that Adamski had spoken to extraterrestrials in the California desert in 1952 and that a group of highly placed government officials planned on public corroboration of Adamski's story. (laughs) She said it! Uh, Adamski was proud of this endorsement and boasted it to support his claims. In 1985, ufologist James W. Mosley revealed that the letter was a hoax. Oh, Mosley said that he and his friend Gray Barker had obtained some official State Department letterheads, created the R.E. Straith persona, and then written the letter to Adamski as a prank. According to (laughs) Mosley, the FBI investigated the case and discovered that the letter was a hoax, but charges were not filed against Mosley or Barker. So the did Adamski know that it was a hoax? I think so. I you mean, I don't know if he did until like way later. I mean, he he might have been really. He excited died before about it. the 1985. He died before 1985. Okay. So I don't know if he knew that it was like publicly like a hoax or if but he, he had to have known that it was a hoax because yeah, he didn't. He, I don't think he believed in any I, of this well, crap I don't think anyway so yeah. either. Yeah, but I don't know. Um. Mosley also wrote that the FBI informed Adamski that the Straith letter was a hoax. So, yeah, he did know because Mosley informed Adamski that it was a hoax and asked him to stop. Or no, the FBI informed Adamski that the letter was a hoax and they wanted him to stop using it as evidence in support of his claims. But Adamski refused and continued to display the letter in his lectures and his talks. So he knew it was fake. So, yeah, he knew it was fake, but he was using it it to make more money. Yeah. This was not the first time Adamski had claimed government support for his UFO stories. In 1953, he told a meeting at the Corona California Lions Club that Corona. his coronavirus <laughs> that his materials had all been cleared with the F- Federal Bureau of Investigation and Air Force Intelligence. 
When the FBI learned of Adamski's claims, three agents were sent to talk to Adamski. He denied having stated that the FBI or USAF intelligence supported his claims, even though his remarks were reported in the Riverside Enterprise, a local newspaper. He agreed to sign a letter stating that he understood the implications of making false claims and the FBI did not endorse the claims of individuals. The three FBI agents signed the letter and a copy was given to Adamski. A few months later, Adamski told an interviewer that he had been, quote, cleared by the FBI and displayed the letter as proof. When the Los Angeles BBB complained, more FBI agents were sent to retrieve Adamski's copy of the letter. They read the riot act to him, warned him that legal action would be taken if he continued to claim FBI or government support for his stories. Adamski later had said that the FBI had warned him to keep him quiet. I like how many warnings they're giving him. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> this feels like a lot for a fucking government agency yeah. <laughs> to be like, yo, stop like, talking. We don't really want to deal with like, you. Well, I think it's because they knew that he wasn't a threat. Like, he's just telling fair. all of this make believe and just being like, well, the FBI is is telling me that it's okay and they're like hey man stop doing this but he's not (laughs) like he's not like doing anything warnings are supposed to be of something to happen like this is a warning that if you do this then x so like what were they saying if you do this i'm gonna come back and have some more stern words oh i know (laughs) if you keep doing this we'll talk again it's all if you keep doing this I'm going to tell your mom if you keep doing this. In May of 1959, the head of the Dutch Unidentified Flying Object Society told Adamski that she had been contacted by officials at the palace of Queen Juliana of the Netherlands, who advised that the queen would like to receive Adamski. Adamski informed a London newspaper about the invitation, which prompted the court and cabinet to request that the queen cancel her private meeting with Adamski. But the queen went ahead with the audience, saying, a hostess cannot slam the door in the face of her guests. Bitch, yes, you can. Yeah, (laughs) but you're right. You the queen. After the audience, (laughs) Dutch Aeronautical Association President Cornelius Kolf said that the queen showed an extraordinary interest in the whole subject. The Royal Netherlands Air Force Chief of Staff, Lieutenant General Hay Shaper, said, The man is a pathological case. It sounds like he was. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, or, or he knew exactly. United what he Press was doing. International and Reuters circulated reports of the meeting to newspapers around the world. In 1962, Adamski announced that he would be attending an interplanetary conference held on the planet Saturn. <laughs> oh. I want to go to Saturn. Can I go to the conference? It's a gaseous planet. You can't fucking be there. That was a big thing about like the refutes of his claims is that like people were like nothing can come from Venus because it's literally only yeah. made of gas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Venus is an inhospitable environment. I remember when I learned that but when no, I was in junior high. But no, Nordic aliens all live there. Let's all go to Venus. They surf the gaseous waves, man. <laughs> Boys go to Jupiter to get more Jupiter. If Jupiter was a man, he would be Mormon because he has like 20 different moons. I thought boys went to Venus to grow another. <laughs> oh. Boys go to Venus to grow another piece. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> Finish your page. Okay. Finish In him. In 1962, Adamski went to Saturn. 
1963. He went in 1963. He said he was going to go to Saturn for an interplanetary (laughs) conference. Just glossed over. Yeah, so then he did that outrageous thing. He went to Saturn in 1962. (laughs) But then he came back because in 1963. And in 1963. (laughs) As if it would take only a year to get to Saturn. You got that advanced alien technology. (laughs) It was only a week long conference. He was going for it. Exactly. In 1963, Adamski claimed that he had a secret meeting with Pope John the 23rd oh. and that he had received a golden medal of honor from his holiness. It was noted, however, that the medal was actually a common tourist souvenir made by a company in <laughs> Milan, Italy. Adamski displayed it to his friends in a cheap plastic box, which is how it was sold in tourist shops in Rome. Adamski said so he met he with the Pope. he didn't even try. He no, didn't even he, like, take it out of bought, the box. Yeah, bought this like cheap metal and like kept it in the little plastic box that it was came in. You know, <laughs> it's like if you buy something from Walmart, it's got like the plastic, like completely yes. terrible. <laughs> Adamski said he met with the Pope at the request of the extraterrestrials he was in contact with. In order to request a final agreement from the Pope because of his decision not to communicate directly with any extraterrestrials, he also offered him a liquid substance in order to save him from the gastric enteritis that he suffered from. Gastric (laughs) enteritis. Gastric enteritis. Hey, Pope, my name's Orthon. Pope John, I'm Orthon. Uh, I know that you shit a lot. And, uh, <laughs> I'm There's thinking that like this liquid. thing could totally help you out, man. Like- <laughs> <laughs> On April 23rd, 1965, Adamski died of a heart attack at oh. a friend's home in Silver Spring, Maryland. He was aged 74. He had just given a UFO lecture in Washington, D.C. He is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Why? I don't know. I don't know why. No, wait, he was. He doesn't uh, deserve that. Does no, he? but he was a veteran, wasn't he? He was Didn't a veteran. That might be why. Yeah. And he fought in the Mexican War, so that's probably why. Okay, he is that's probably why. why. Okay. In the in the Pancho Villa. That's right, Pancho expedition. Villa. <laughs> Pancho Villa. That Pancho Villa. <laughs> that's a good story. Heyo, that was that my was story. A good story. I, I liked enjoyed it. it very much. Good job. What well, a fucking piece you. of shit. Sorry, I had to burp in the yeah, he was pretty much just a con artist. My next alien story, which I will do, is going to be a lot more authentic. <laughs> Orthon doesn't really exist. There's no thing. Are like, you sure? Because um, those assless pants, they made a movie. There are them. assless pants, weird trousers, not like his. I'm going to name my child Orthon. Orthon. I'm going to name my next cat Orthon. Orthon. You need Orthon. to do that beforehand it has a child. I then she'll up, feel like if it's I Yates named, from her. If I'll I get named, pregnant right no, now, bitch. You're going to get pregnant. <laughs> my next cat is going to be named after your future child, no matter what his name is, just as a power trip. That would be funny. It if would be. You like named was... your child Chad. The next cat that I get, his name is going to be Chad. No, okay. <laughs> but it's funnier if you're, like, it's okay if you're naming it after her child. Yeah. But if you steal it first, then she's naming her child after, <laughs> after your, your my cat. cat. And that is not okay. <laughs> that is okay. James had a dream once where he was, like, calling for Nilbog. <laughs> And he was like, come here, Nilbog, come here. And in his dream, like a little redheaded toddler came oh, crawling no. out. And he turned to me and was like, isn't it a little fucked up that we named our son <laughs> Nilbog? 
Yes, it is fucked up. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys should have thought that. Oh, you should a totally have a child in the name of Nilbog. All right, ladies. All right. Is it time for things that don't suck? Things that don't suck. Yay. All right, who wants to go first? Well, Jesse did say, I want to say Jesse said that one thing that doesn't, her thing that doesn't (laughs) suck is that neither Belle nor Hannah is pregnant. Yay, Yay. not pregnant. That's a thing that constantly doesn't Doesn't suck for me. (laughs) I finished my story and it wasn't complete garbage. That's is that your thing that doesn't suck? No, my thing that doesn't suck is that my new job is actually going really well, and I want to shout out to my coworkers that are like super excited about me doing a podcast because I've like had to Google search our podcast for like four people so far. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. Everybody's really excited about Yay. it. Cool. I really like my new job, and y'all make it pretty not shitty. So thanks, guys. What's your thing? Things that don't suck. I don't know. I've been thinking about stuff. (laughs) There's some stuff that's cool. Um, Last weekend, I got to take a baking class. That was kind of fun. And it was advanced French pastry. Ooh. So now I just need some time in my life to bake. And that would be cool. That's the hardest thing. (laughs) So that was fun. Nice. Yeah. That doesn't suck. I also... Took my niece skiing yesterday, Yay. and she did a great job. That's awesome. Yay. Yeah, That doesn't sound forced at all. She did not give me the evil eyes about not forgetting <laughs> to say that that Oh, no. Suck. No, she did a really great job. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. I still have never been skiing. That's okay. Your knees You should suck. not. You probably shouldn't with your knees, but you could I'm board. I'm going to eventually. I'm going to do it. If you I'm already board. working out regularly to try to not have a shitty kneecap. If you strengthen your knees, that might help, but I also think you could board, Belly. Uh, well, my thing that doesn't suck is that I'm going back to therapy, and I'm on new antidepressants, and so hopefully I won't cry as much. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. That's right. Well, um, let's see. My thing that doesn't suck this week is that I have finally gotten an extra day off every two weeks. So basically two extra days a month off to work on podcast stuff and get my life in order. And that's nice. And also we've had some things, some changes at work, and it looks like things are going to work out pretty well. Things have been kind of smoothing out. Extra day off. (laughs) Extra day off. Extra day off. Is there anything else that anybody wants to add? I guess we could talk about. Um, so next podcast, we're going to have a guest. Ooh. And it's going to be Jess and Kells and Mai's mama. Yeah. Hannah and I are going to be out. We're yes. going to New York. But Grandma's personality is going to be big enough for both of us. That's true. That's <laughs> true. I think that all of the listeners are going to love our mother so much that they're going to request that she come back. What do you think? I think so. Yeah. She's she's amazing. Do you know what her story is going to be? She uh, is doing stories on um, the theater. I'm not exactly sure what. I think they're murders that happened, but I don't know the details. I just know it involves theater, which is apropos. Because she is an, uh, an excellent actress. She is part of the reason that we have been inspired to be so creative like we are. Mm-hmm. She does, uh, she narrates audiobooks. Mm. What? what if she just reads Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> <laughs> we could do a special. 
We could do a special. Oh, look, guys, and it's snowing. It just started snowing outside. Boo! So I think that means it's time for us to say goodbye because we should probably get things packed up and get on the road. So thank Thank you, everybody, for joining joining us. us. We love you all, and we hope you come back next time. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye-bye.